I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. I'm Daniela Kouye. And today we have two experts joining the show here for the full hour and Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital are with us today. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Daniel. Great to be here. All good. And uh, let's move on. And uh, well, first of all, just a a quick thought on the markets. Um, very briefly, because I know macro is not really your thing, but are we a little bit tentative about the upcoming earnings season? Luke? Um, I think so, Danielle. I think the numbers themselves will probably be okay. It'll be the outlooks that the market will really be focused on. Um, a lot of companies have come out and, and, and pre-reported or guided or uh, you know indicated where they'll be at this reporting season. Um, you know what what the market will be focused on is the outlooks, and particularly because things are moving so fast. I mean, we've had the fastest rate rights, rate uh, rate hike cycle in years, um, and I, I'm just I think the market as a whole just understands the effects of that hasn't come through yet. Um, so we're we're watching with bated breath as to you know consumer stocks in particular, the retailers. What's the outlook from those guys? What's the six seven week trading update they normally give? Um, it, It'll be that outlook, I think, we'll be really focused on. Yeah, totally. And what about you, Claude? Are you sort of similarly, similarly seeing the situation play out? I, I think Luke gave a great synopsis there. Uh, I guess on a personal level, I, most of my stocks don't really have cyclicality to their earnings, but I'm always a little bit nervous in those companies. Uh, I do have a few that have a little bit of A, cyclicality or B, operating leverage. Uh, in their results, because obviously those ones can be a lot harder to predict and, and they can actually go down much more easily than the really recurring revenue style businesses. Absolutely. Well, let's crack on. So the first five stocks that have been picked by you today are Servcorp, Pacific Smiles, CSL, Trajan Group and Drop Suite. But before we get there, the stock of the day is ResMed and shares of the California-based medical equipment company have taken a hit after quarterly earnings missed consensus estimates by about 5%. And uh, as we can see, the shares are currently trading down about 10%. ResMed has announced a noteworthy 18% rise in revenue amounting to US $4.2 billion for the entire financial year. CEO Mike Farrell revealed the company's intentions to introduce artificial intelligence products tailored for both patients and doctors. The net income for the full year stood at US $187 million, representing a 15% increase. So gentlemen, uh, Luke, how are you seeing these ResMed results? Of course, we did get that AI theme dropped into it, but nevertheless, the company has been tracking along in that direction for a while. They have, yeah. I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, Danielle. They aren't one of the Johnny-come-latelys to the, the AI theme. They have been there for a while, but it is it is the buzzword. I'm sure we'll see it a lot more in this reporting season. Um, yeah, so funny enough, I just said that, you know, the outlook for rep- the reporting season will be what companies are saying about the future, but um, this is just a good old-fashioned earnings miss. Um, you have a look at, at what's happened to ResMed over the financial year, and I think what's got the market spooked and where analysts have sort of uh, will have to show sharpen their pencils and redo their numbers is particularly around the gross margin for the business. Um, I, I had a quick look this morning because um, they report quarterly as a US-based business now. Um, in the first quarter, their gross margin was 56.9%. 
It declined to 56.1% in the second quarter, uh, 55.3% in the third quarter, and then the most recent one today, 55.0. So mm. you've seen a, a degradation in that gross margin almost linearly, linearly across that financial year. Um, and of course, you know, the effects of supply chain issues and all the things that have impacted gross margins for, for businesses and particularly manufacturers over the last couple of years, you would probably think we're getting to the back end of those effects now, or in particular, companies that are still seeing those headwinds. We're well into an inflationary cycle where price rises have been passed on by a vast majority of businesses. So I think the market's right to sort of question ResMed here and say, you know, maybe your gross margin starting to fall at the start of the year is a, is a bit of concern. But what's taken you so long to either pass through those price rises or are you able to is, is, a, is a very you know pertinent question to ask. Um, but also, you know, get a better handle over your over your cost base and, and, and the inputs that go into it. So um, when you when you combine that with still 35 times earnings, it, there's just not a lot of headroom for that little misstep that's obviously come through. I, I think as a business, the outlook is still you know quite good. Top line revenue growth was still 23%, still really strong. Um, but the market reaction to me is actually quite rational, and I think it's worth people who who own ResMed just taking a look at that gross margin and thinking to themselves, you know, can this get back to the 56, 57%? Because even that one to two percent percentage points, you know, is, is quite a big a quite a big um, hit to the bottom line with a, a revenue base like ResMed's. Um, so look, you and I've only had a quick look today. I, I would say a hold for people, but but just be aware that valuation is high um, and you need that that turnaround or that execution to come back pretty quickly to support that. So this could be a little bit like CSL, which we'll talk about later, um, where it, it, it may just drift downwards for a while. So um, I, I will say a hold, but but uh, for people to, to look a bit deeper into this result, I think there's more to it than just an earnings miss. Yeah, indeed. And if my memory serves me correctly, they've actually had a miss for the last few quarters and traded down afterwards. Claude, how are you reading the results? Well, I'm happy. This is why I love being on with Luke because he can get into the details. So I think the, the best way I can uh, add a little value is if we take a zoomed out view of this. Now, uh, on the zoomed out view, the one point that is important with what Luke was saying is, is the margins coming down. Uh, that can be indicative of a number of different things. But generally speaking, you see that happen more when there is healthy competition because that does restrain the ability for a company to just pass on any cost increases plus extra. So uh, I would look at the uh, comp competitive positioning. It seems like, I don't know if, uh, I think that the, some of Resmen's competitors are pretty solid as well. So it is one risk on a zoomed out level is this is not a business that I would say you, is necessarily improving its position year after year, which is probably the holy grail of quality bro investing. Um, and so it probably does, it starts falling out of that thesis, but it's still a good quality blue chip healthcare uh, investment. So that is the uh, big picture part that's still working for it. On a on a gross profit level, despite the gross margins coming down, you're still getting over 10% growth, solidly over 10% growth. In EPS, similarly, 14, I think, or a, a decent percent growth uh, on that as well. So this is a company that is still growing and probably high hyper growth is not going to be possible at this kind of scale anymore. Uh, so I would never really expect to see that maybe sometime with an acquisition or something. But it's unlikely. Mostly uh, the edge here is this is a company that one would argue can just keep growing for a really, really long time. And at mid-30s uh, P ratio, I reach a, at using broad strokes in a zoomed out view, probably the same conclusion as, as Luke. I mean, I would say the, the main uh, blue chip, slightly defensive long-term growth at a reasonable price thesis still probably does hold here. So it's not something you need to be selling. Having said that, uh, it is a hold for me just because I'd prefer have a little more. I think some of the risks are skewed to the downside just because of that other factor where it, probably the quality of this company's positioning is no longer improving. And, and what you really want if you're focused on quality growth kind of style investing is you want companies that are improving their quality, which often comes through margins and, and usually a better uh, competitive positioning over time. And given that we're probably not seeing that here, that's what keeps it in a hold zone for me. Fantastic, Claude. Okay, well, uh, a couple of holds there, but we've got lots more stocks to get through. So let's crack straight into it. And uh, the first stock of the day has been picked by Mark, and it is ServCorp. And uh, well, I'll, I'll swap it around. Claude, what do you think of this one? Uh, this is uh, one that I used to follow uh, many years ago, because I do think that 
Uh, it has it had a good growth story, very uh, aligned management. You still see the founder buying shares on market to this day. Uh, however, what seemed reasonably uh, reasonable as an interesting company 10 years ago is no longer uh, capturing my imagination, nor the markets, can you see, if you even look at the five-year view. And that's because these guys are in the business of essentially leasing, say, a floor in a building and renting out the actual offices uh, individually on you know, various different terms. And and if they fill out the floor with all these sub lessees, then uh, they make a profit on that. They make a margin on that. And, uh, you know, I think that the management and the CEO is quite savvy. They usually uh, hold a big cash balance so that the company doesn't get into too much distress if, if some things go wrong. And it does have various like impairments. They have a horrible metric I don't like, which is net profit before impairment in taxes or something like that, which is this is the worst thing to be. I just can't even. That's the kind of thing why I can't take it serious as a long-term investment anymore. It's just not that good a quality business anymore. Yeah. The reason for that are in front of our very eyes. Not even the, the fault of anyone running this business. It's obviously you had WeWork and the other people like WeWork that are many of them for a long time. They're running business models where they lose money. Uh, so it's never great to have competition that is irrational and losing money. Perhaps a little tailwind for Surfcorp as, as some of that uh, ends, but. Overall, uh, you also have the bigger problem of also offices. The whole idea of offices have had a massive, are taking a massive leap towards redundancy. I'm not mm. saying it's redundant yet. I'm just saying that it's a massive leap towards redundancy. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg wants to elevate our consciousness to the metaverse. And that's not good for the office either. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I am saying the tailwinds are against you in this business model. And yeah, it's just like, if you're choosing a sandpit to play in, this is a sandpit that's like gradually flooding or, or there are snakes in it or something. So just best to avoid it. Uh, of course, there is the value thesis. It has a high dividend yield. So if you're like a you know value investor guy that likes to buy the things that just got too, um, too cheap and then you know wait for a re-rate that may never come and then if it comes, you sell it for a 50% gain. And then this is one to add to your watch list because I'm sure it, it will get too cheap and dislocated at certain points. But for the long-term investors, who are looking for that buy and hold uh, kind of position for the portfolio? Uh, maybe there's a dividend angle here, and 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 so perhaps you could put a little as a dividend stock. But overall, tough place to invest, so I'm going to avoid it. Avoid, yeah. It's a, it's a bit hard to get a, a, a buy, sell, or hold out of you on that one. You've kind of covered all bases. Uh, if- I would sell it. I would sell it. I would okay. sell it. It's just that it's hard to say that because like yeah. Uh, there is a thesis there for the, a certain kind of investor, and I'm not that sure that the thesis of, for holding it or buying it would be wrong. It's just that it's just a tough. Yeah, I just wouldn't take the risk. Is Indeed. basically where it comes down to. Absolutely, uh, certainly from work from home and that uh, excess uh, space in the office sector is probably not helping. Uh, Luke, how do you see this one? Um, I see it in much the same way, Danielle, um, similar to Claude. It's one that was sort of on my radar many years ago and, and going back and, and looking at the business today, not much had changed, which is both a good and a bad thing. Um, good in the sense of, as Claude says, you've got a founder there who I think runs the business really well, very conservatively, owns 50% of the stock. You know, he, He's never going to do anything that isn't in the interest of all minority shareholders just because he's so aligned. But at the same time, that conservativeness leads the business to sort of look like what that chart showed before, that long-term chart. There's, it's just run very safe, very steady, minimal growth, and basically moves around from an occupancy point of view. They're not, they're not out there adding you know, hundreds of different um, offices and, and floors every year. It's it's very slow, very steady, but the occupancy of, of those obviously is where the, the, the um, pluses and minuses come from in the, the year-to-year growth or decline. Um, I'd probably focus a little bit more on Claude's last point. I actually think there is a buy here just for a dividend investor. So right now it trades on a 7% yield. Um, now, you know, for most dividend investors, I think they're after that defensiveness. So they usually go towards large caps, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, this is going to be a more volatile stock. But when I look across the, the small cap spectrum um, at, at the dividend yields that are on display, this is one I think is actually quite safe. As, as Claude said, there's 115 mil cash in the bank on a 285 mil market cap. It's it's very well capitalized, very safe. Um, I agree with the long-term headwinds around the office and things like that. But with that 7% yield for the right investor, and, and to be clear, that's actually, it's not me. I'm after capital growth in, mm. in my small caps. And, and as Claude, I'm the same as him. I want that compounding mm-hmm. in the long-term growth 
But if you were someone who wanted dividends, I actually think you can look at something like a Serve Corp and even today looks interesting at that 7% yield. So uh, for the program, look, let's say buy just to be optimistic, but, but only for that dividend investor who is willing to play with the riskier end of small caps. Okay, cool. Well, let's crack on because I'm uh, cognizant time is ticking away. So the second stock of the day is Pacific Smiles Group, picked by Nathan. So Claude, are you into dentistry? Uh, like dentistry itself is an honourable profession. Uh, whether this investment is attractive, no, I don't really like it. I've never really got uh, the investment thesis for uh, Pacific Smiles. It is obviously a uh, you know roll up of dentists. Uh, the one year chart, you could look at the five year chart, and you can see it generally hasn't created uh, much value for shareholders over the years. It has had very uh, patchy uh, earnings. It's like for me, a professional services roll up. It's about at least, at the very least, solid earnings, just reliable earnings, reliable margins, and also a dividend. And basically, the the model for this one hasn't led to high dividend payments to shareholders at all. I think it has a tiny dividend yield. Uh, on top of that, there's no real sustainable, in my opinion, growth thesis other than we're going to buy more dentists. And if that's the whole essence of the company, you really have to just think about the relationship between the company and the dentists themselves. And the idea of uh, buying professional practices, to me, it's just you know, fundamentally flawed uh, because the success of a dentist, if a dentist is very good, has a fantastic bedside manner, you know, gets the recommendations automatically and generally does a great job, then they're always going to accrue that advantage to themselves, to their own name. And so like repeatedly buying yeah. practices off dentists, or let alone setting them up, the same thing works. Like you set up a dentist, a guy works for you for 10 years, he builds up his name and he's like, great, I'm just going to leave and start my own practice now. And great, that's awesome. Like that's actually what makes uh, professions good and, and that mm. you need that for a middle class because it automatically gives more power to the workers. But I diverge. The point is I don't want to be on the other side of that mm. uh, trying to corporately own all of these like individual uh, professionals. Yeah, so is that, uh, again, we've got to kind of wrap it up in terms of a buy, sell or hold. It's obviously not one that you would buy, Claude. I guess if somebody holds it, would you continue to hold it or would you sell? I Look, I think it could go up a little bit, but I would I would sell uh, whenever I even think of this company. I always, okay. my head just sell. reads specific yeah. piles. So okay, that happens a sell. Now. Okay, Luke, what about you? Um, much the same view, Danielle. I get the idea of the investment thesis here, which is they've always said that they they um, they do buy some dentists, Claude's right, but a lot of it's actually new builds. They'll build a new center. And of course, it takes time to, to scale that up and get the dentists in and fill the beds that they, they install. Um, and so you have this, this constant drag on your earnings of any new centers you roll out are automatically loss making until they hit scale. And then the thesis is once they're a mature center, they generate, uh, the company says around 20% EBITDA margin. So the idea from people who I've seen who are along the stock, the company themselves, is that as the mature centers sort of overwhelm the new centers being built, you'll see this lovely recurring earnings stream. I actually agree with Claude though, and you see it across almost every professional services business, which is when your revenue is generated by these people that have the direct relationship with your customers, like as the corporate entity, Pacific Smiles doesn't really have that relationship, it is the dentist, um, then it can be very tough to, to, to keep those people. Mm. You, you sometimes have to incentivize them right, pay them you know, extra, things like that. And so, Claude's spot on, you just haven't seen that thesis play out in the numbers. And look, COVID's probably affected them. There's a lot of reasons why. Um, look, the share price is down a long way. I would probably say a hold. It doesn't look expensive on, on the guidance they've got in the market right now, about mm -hmm. 10 times EBITDA. I don't love that metric because there's a lot of CapEx and particularly maintenance CapEx, a mm -hmm. lot of money into maintaining dental centres. Um, so free cash flows basically break even. Um, but I would hold it because I think Claude's right is that you might see a short-term little bump as some COVID effects unwind. Um, you know, they continue that trajectory of getting more centres mature and hopefully that cash flow hits the bottom line a bit better. So it's beaten down. I wouldn't rush to sell it. But like Claude, I'm pretty unenthused about the longer-term hold of uh, the longer-term buy of something like a Pacific Smiles. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on. The third stock is CSL, which is obviously uh, one of our largest, the third largest stock actually on the ASX picked by Arden they've had lots of headwinds downgrades in earnings uh, is it a buy at the moment Claude because uh, for CSL it's pretty bombed out 
Yeah, so actually I am even putting this on my own potential watch list for a buy, which is saying something because it's actually such a large company. It's not really where I uh, bother to spend much time. But CSL really stands out as uh, a business that does have an enduring competitive advantage. You can imagine the distribution network in collecting and making uh, drug products and uh, making and then dispersing vaccines, but also, I said drug products, I mean blood products. They are drugs, but they're, they're made from blood. So you have this whole blood collection network that does create some moving parts and they have been impacted by the pandemic, uh, basically increasing the price they had to pay for uh, blood products because there was so much fiscal stimulus. And that does hint at perhaps uh, a less desirable part of the business, uh, which is, you know, how sustainable is the current model of uh, blood collection? However, despite that uh, headwind, uh, the distribution network and the competitive advantage, the inability for someone to create a new business out of nothing to build up this thing would take, you know, it's just almost impossible. Mm -hmm. And that gives it, and it also operates on a global scale. So mm -hmm. you're having a distribution network that could argue be, arguably be creating characteristics of a monopoly or an oligopoly. And you have it going on a golden scale, uh, uh, on a global scale. And on top of that, uh, countries that mess with this uh, company and this distribution network, they risk uh, interfering with or disrupting the supply of critical medicines that could result in people dying if they don't have access to it. So overall, it's got a very uh, good competitive position on a global scale. Yeah. Therefore, it definitely still qualifies, in my view, as a good quality business yes they have had a slight hit to their margins but they basically saying we're slowly going to edge the margins up over the coming years which is uh you know foot like feasible anyway not guaranteed but in any event uh yeah i think that now when there's more there's an unusual amount of pessimism around what is probably still one of the top quality businesses on the asx it's definitely yep. one that i'm looking at and okay. as a result buy i'll say a buy okay. for it perfect a buy there Luke, are you going to be tempted, given all the downgrades that we've had, given all the warnings that they've put out? Well, I'm a micro-cap investor, Danielle, so well and truly out of my universe. Um, but look, I, I jot down notes in front of me for all the companies you know, as I'm going through, and, I, and all I wrote down for CSL was 28 times forward earnings. Um, <laughs> to me, that's probably the lowest this business has traded yeah. in a very, very long time. Um, I think as a retail investor for a stock like CSL, you're going to struggle to get an edge over the market. You, you would have a dozen sell-side analysts covering it, all sorts of the biggest funds in Australia. Um, you know, for, from a short-term point of view, um, they'll always be more informed than you. So the only edge you can get is by taking a longer-term view on the stock and buying it when that valuation pulls back. So to, I'll be quick. To me, it's a buy as well. Um, I agree with everything Claude said. I think the sustainability of this business hasn't changed at all. You've got some short-term headwinds. I trust CSL will come out the other side. Um, and that that sort of multiple you're paying is is probably at a multi-year low. I, I reckon you have to go back to maybe 2015, 2016 to buy it as cheap as it is today. So um, again, I'm a micro-cap investor, so I, I, I wouldn't be buying it myself. But for the program, yeah, it's a buy. Fantastic. Well, there we go. A double buy. But nevertheless, we do need to crack on. And the fourth stock is a Trajan picked by Arthur. I must admit, new to me, a life sciences company, products company, about 287 million market cap. So, Claude, is this one that, uh, you know, lights your fire? Well, it's definitely interesting. Uh, so what Trajan does, it provides the uh, devices that help with scientific measurement processes. So examples can include uh, syringes, microscope slides, test tubes, home blood sample pens, and machines that dispense liquids and separate elements in a given sam sample. And it's basically deriving its, its revenue from developing um, and manufacturing and then obviously selling these products. And these these means to have a very varying different customer base, uh, but you know, all sorts of uh, chemical testing in, you know, food or, or pharma or, you know, any kind of application and a global uh, user base or customer base, but uh, mostly from North America there. So that's great. It's a really, truly uh, good Australian export kind of business. And it's in the kind of uh, areas that's like, I guess, a bit of a specialized niche, which can be somewhere where you can like get a, a competitive advantage and, and have slightly higher margins. So it definitely ticks a lot of the boxes. I think around 300 million market cap. Luke, you might need to uh, correct me on that if I'm wrong. Uh, but 
Yeah. Oh, so where I where I can't go. So everything looks good in terms mm-hmm. of what this business does. It's just the it's just the valuation that gets me. So the first half, I think the net profit for tax was about four million, and uh, yeah, it's, so it's a very high PE okay. ratio, and that was only a half year. And they have given guidance for a bit though, which is for a start, slightly stronger second half. But even just taking the optimistic end of that, yeah. I can't get to where the analyst forecasts are. Okay. And as a result of that, I think there's risk to the downside on the share price. Okay, so would you be selling it or just holding? I think you could. this could have enough growth potential to be a long-term hold. So I wouldn't want to scare someone out for that reason, but I would not be buying it. And if you really forced me, I would probably sell it if you forced me to choose between hold and sell. But I think if you have a thesis for this, there's no reason to give up right okay. now. I just think there could be hold. rocky roads ahead. Okay, a hold on that one. What about you, Luke? I'm, I'm a hold as well, Danielle. Um, valuation is the, the the big sort of hurdle with this. Um, I actually, I've looked at this business in the past and, and, and I quite like the background of it. So um, you've got a founder in the business who still owns 50% of it, um, still running the business. Um, he um, mortgaged or sold his home to start the business years and years ago, never raised capital until he first came to market. Um, a lot of a lot of good things you like to see behind you know a business like this. Um, since doing that, though there's been a lot of acquisitions which sometimes a bit of a red flag when you've got a large founder there with a big stake i can sort of stomach it a bit more um as claude said though it's that valuation that sort of trips me up a little bit i I agree with him you've got a big second half waiting um i think it's a pretty comfortable hold if you're there if you're on the sidelines though i'll just wait for this second half to come in because because claude's right there's whenever you have a big sort of first half second half waiting Mm. it can sometimes be the company being a little bit optimistic that maybe the first half was a bit weaker but we'll get all that back in the second second half and things will still be good and you know sometimes it doesn't quite work out so i would wait for this result to come in find out where it is there's a big range too i think that range was 21 to 25 mil mm-hmm. um EBITDA, claude, claude may remember um so yes where it ends up in that range could also look very different from a market reaction point of view so i think there's very good reasons to to hold this if you're there have it on your watch list if you're not but just that valuation i'd love to get it that little bit cheaper um and particularly as claude says on that sort of net profit level rather than the EBITDA, which there is some capex behind this business. They do some manufacturing, so um, you know that that free cash doesn't convert quite as cleanly as what you'd like. So okay. um, hold, hold for the program, though. Okay, fair enough. And uh, fifth stock drop suite, and uh, that has been picked by a Chloe. So uh, slightly smaller company, um, 185 million market cap, cloud software platform. If my research serves me correctly, uh, Claude. Do you like Drop Suite? I do, Danny. I own this one, and, and I promise I, I've got less to say about the, the companies in the second half. So you'll, so um, I know you've already about time, but uh, Drop Suite is a really interesting one to talk about at the moment because it has had an incredibly volatile share price recently. Uh, so what this company does is, and I, I own shares, I must remind you, but it uh, basically has a fairly simple product where. It allows managed service providers to upsell uh, this sort of uh, backup archiving uh, recovery product uh, that is what DropSuite provides. And so their real customers are the MSPs, and those MSPs then on-sell it perhaps with an Office 365 implementation to their end clients. And uh, it has been sort of reaching an inflection point with profitability, and it is now just minorly profitable. It's free cash flow positive. Um, and its revenue is still growing at quite a cracking rate. Uh, I think anywhere between 25% and 40% is a reasonable expectation of their current revenue growth rates. So that is quite high, and that has been fairly consistent, although you see the the share price has had a long flat area. Uh, Actually, it's been consistently growing that entire time. And uh, finally, uh, the market started to get a bit excited about this, and it really took off, and I think it quite quickly got to about 35, 37 cents which was probably too high, like perhaps you could argue 23 cents is too low, but then almost doubling when it was just steadily growing. It's a funny situation where markets catch up like that. So as a result of that, uh, it was poised for, for trouble. And then uh, Microsoft put out an announcement saying that they were launching a, uh, a, diff- like a different archiving product. But yeah, that would be one new competitor to drop suite. And of course, most importantly, it's Microsoft who really controls the distribution more than anyone. Now, 
uh, the company itself, DropSuite, says that this won't have an impact on its business. And there are logical reasons to believe this. So the main customer DropSuite is looking for is someone who has no archiving uh, solution. It's not a matter of everyone's competing to try and steal each other's customers. It's more that there's already a competitive suite of archiving customers, archiving products, and they're trying to convert customers that have no backup to uh, actually paying for archiving backup. And then the other fact is Microsoft's products is going to be more expensive. And also the potential flaw with this is that it may not be wise to uh, back up your Office 365, which is obviously held with Azure, uh, with another Microsoft product, which is also going to be on Azure. It could be that many people see uh, value in having uh, their Office 365 stuff backed up via Drop Suite with AWS or an alternative provider. Yeah. So that's why... I am still happy to, I basically think this is still a buy. It's probably getting on the edge of hold now. The share price has bounced. There was a panic in the share price. Some people bought shares at like 23 cents just the other day. It's sort of bounced back a little bit, but hasn't got to where it was. Okay, cool. What about you, Luke? I think it's a hold as well. Um, it's, it's a really tough one because the execution of the business has been fantastic, as Claude says, and, and the characteristics of the business. I mean, you're talking about um, very strong, steady growth, high gross margins, ex- exceptionally capital light, almost no capex in the business. Um, and so when you combine all those things together, I, I mean, you get the perfect compounding vehicle that Claude and I were, were you know, sort of talking about before and are always on the hunt for. Um, of course, those characteristics attract competition it's mm. it's the, the sort of business that everyone wants to be in and of course when that competition is microsoft themselves i, I think it's quite rational for the market to to have sold off the stock and, and sort of reassess of, of where we are today and where we might be um the valuation was quite high too even today it's still on six times arr so it's probably upwards of like eight or nine times um when, when it got to its peak um so i think yeah I, I think it's a hold i think management's earned that right to to, to wait and see you know that they, they claim that it won't affect them too much i think they've earned the right for the market to sort of say let's okay let's see if that's the case and give them another few maybe two or three quarters um if you're on the sidelines though which i am i actually don't own the stock just for disclosure um i think you just stay there for now um you've got the benefit of, of waiting to see mm-hmm. that execution continue um and whether this microsoft thing becomes a, a bigger problem because if claude is correct which you very very well may be there's a long runway for this business and you may have to pay a higher price to get back in but but it's a business that can be multiple times larger in the future with a large addressable market and those fantastic characteristics to invest into so hold for me just on on the some of the stuff that claude raised um and, and yeah, definitely on my watch list. Okay, fantastic. Well, let's wrap everything up and let's start with stock of the day, which was ResMed. And it's obviously trading down about 10% here in Australia, following what was a little bit of a disappointment again on those gross margins. So both our guests, Luke looking at a hold, good quality business, but still supply chain issues, trying to unravel price increases that have to be put through. Also, Claude, a hold, um, Um, you know, margins, again, a little bit under pressure. So for stock of the day, two holds. Let's crack on and do the five stocks that we've had uh, our guests speak about. So ServeCorp, in terms of that, so Claude has an avoid and a sell on this one. And Luke very much sitting in possibly the buy camp on the basis that it's very conservatively managed. It's on a 7% yield. It's got a lot of cash in the bank and the owner or the who runs the business has about 50% owning of the stock. So a bit of a mixed view there. If we crack on to Pacific Smiles, well, not a lot of love from either of our experts today. Uh, pretty much both sitting Claude Moore in a sell camp, pretty much a challenged business model here in terms of having to not only encourage a good quality dentist to come on board, but keeping them on board over a period of time. Luke as well, not too inspired by the business model itself. So we have a hold there. CSL, one of Australia's largest, most popular companies. Well, we have a double buy from our two experts. Claude saying, uh, emphasizing the competitive advantage 
message and the moat that this company has. And interestingly, Luke, I thought, made a very interesting point, even though he wouldn't invest in CSL because he does microcaps, but just pointing out at 20 times PE, it's probably the lowest PE ratio that we've seen for this stock in upwards of seven years. So both buying there. If we go on to a Trajan group, uh, we have Claude sitting there with a hold on that one, as does Luke. In terms of uh, there's been a lot kind of discounted in that one for the first half. So we really want to see how the second half plays out. And Drop Suite, well, a bit of a mixed view. Claude here has a buy slash hold. He owns the stock. He very much likes the stock and made a really good point, even though Microsoft is coming into the market. Some people might want to diversify their exposure or risk away by using a company such as Drop Suite and AWS. Luke also has a hold on the stock, seeing how it will execute in this second half. So that is the first five stocks of the day. And let's move to our portfolio. The call is tracking our own high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting, which is live for you to watch at osbiz.com. So let's check in with the portfolio update. Going into August, index was replaced by AUB. The committee spent uh, on cash uh, by about 1% to each of Seek, Altium and Promedicus. And let's check in and see how the portfolio portfolio is performing. So far, our fund is 6.63% on a cumulative return basis since inception on March 1st, 2022. So keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Okay, let's crack on into the second half hour. And uh, yes, the five stocks that we have uh, Domino's Pizza, Main Pharma, Avita Medical, Osco Healthcare, and Ozwide Bank. So the sixth stock, Domino's, has been picked by Frank. So let's swap this around a bit. And Luke, what do you think? Domino's has been in a bit of a world of pain, not in your universe necessarily, but what do you think of it at the moment? Yeah, been tough times for Domino's. Um, you know, the inflationary environment we're in, they've been hit on that um, sort of the food costs, um, higher employment costs. Um, and I think what's really caught, sort of caught the market by surprise is you you would have thought Domino's was a good candidate for that, tra- uh, that trade down sort of um, uh, trade where, where people yep. may revert back to a Domino's as other things become more expensive. And, and they sort of came out and said that they themselves got their pricing mix a bit wrong and, and some of their upsells didn't quite work and, and discounting wasn't effective and maybe just had a few operational missteps combined with the, the, the macro headwinds they've faced. Um, look, I guess what would sort of worry me here today, and, and like this isn't a business I cover um, all the time, obviously, but it has come up a few times on the call. And every time I look at it, it's still not cheap, still trades on about 30 times earnings. So the market is factoring in a recovery mm. here, which is probably fair enough. I would expect earnings to recover somewhat. Um, but, but what worries me the most is, is the balance sheet is not in a great position. I mean, um, Domino's has always been a company that's run with quite a lot of debt. Um, yep. And when operationally the business was performing well and debt was quite cheap, it was never a problem. But mm. now you have a combination of some operational issues and, and, and depressed profits as interest costs are really starting to ramp up. And mm. so, you know, over the last 18 months, cash flow has really fallen in this business and, and that debt level has stayed up around uh, 800 million. Yeah. Um, that could be the next problem that Domino's faces. Um, I'm not saying they have to come out and raise capital, but if that turnaround doesn't really come through quickly, yeah. um, as, that, as those rising interest rates start to bite, I think you'll you'll see questions about whether they need to, to raise and just shore up that balance sheet. Um, look, it, it's a tough one. I would actually probably lean sell just because yeah. I don't think the valuation gives you a lot of headroom if, if things do stay troubled for quite some time. Yeah. But I do see the view that it's a good management team. They've been through problems in the past. The growth outlook still looks okay. I lean between hold and sell, but myself would probably lean towards sell, Danny. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Claude, what do you think? I think Domino's is a sell because it is one of the great Aussie mid-cap stock bubbles that's currently in the process of bursting. 
Uh, the business itself is not of particularly high quality. It just became this kind of um, Momo stock that had a bit of earnings momentum and a ton of share price momentum. Uh, and a lot of Aussie fund managers got behind it. And then I guess in a way you got punished if you didn't own it. And so capitulation was just buying some. I would view this as a, a almost a semi, well, it's basically they're closing franchises, yeah. right? So I'd say it's a, sa- a franchise with the saturated franchise rollout. And uh, look, even if we take analyst forecasts for granted, which I think that the analysts that are covering it are probably more likely to be, um, you know, positively disposed towards it. And so, uh, you know, even if we take what they say as correct for 2025, which for the record, I think that they're way too optimistic. But even if we take that, it's still not that cheap. That's like 22 times earnings, which is probably you'd say maybe even a bit generous for a saturated franchise rollout. So overall, uh, no, definitely not a buy, definitely not a hold. For me, it would be a sell. This is just the unwinding of a mania on the stock market. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Too much uh, exuberance about being a technology stock. The seventh stock is Main Pharma, picked by Phil. So, Luke, what do you think of Main Pharma? Um, yeah, look, so as I said before, I'm a micro cap investor. And when the large caps inevitably come up, um, you know, I, I try to spend a good sort of half hour, 45 minutes and, and, and offer value to, to, to the viewers. Um, this was one, Phil, I must admit, the, the, the one sentence I jotted down is there's too much going on here. Um, I remember Maine Pharma from, from my time when I used to run a mid cap fund. And back then, it used to be a manufacturer of generic drugs, mm. um, which is a a competitive market, but one where you can earn a, a you know half decent return on capital and do okay if the business has run well. And what I found when I looked at it yesterday was a completely different business with, like I said, just so much happening. They've they've spun out that generic drugs business. Um, that chart, I think there was a, a share consolidation in there, yeah. um, which is why the chart looks like that. Um, but they've spun out that that generic retail business. They've gone and bought a, a, another suite of drugs. Um, the balance sheet has a lot of moving parts to it with debt and some contingent liabilities of ongoing royalties they have due to um, you know other parties whose drugs that they're manufacturing and distributing. Um, there was just, for a brief look, there was just far too much for me to, to sort of get a handle on where this business is, what it looks like, what the balance sheet looks like. Um, for what it's worth, management said that FY24 is when they expect to be back into profitability. Um, that could be the case, but it, it will be hard to know and requires execution. They've got a new portfolio of drugs that need to get out there and manufacture and, and sell into the, the lucrative US market. So, look, I think it's one where unless you know this business really well or have a view as to the, the new suite of drugs that they've acquired, um, I think it's one you just put in the too hard pile and, and move on to you know the plenty of other opportunities on the market. Indeed. So uh, would that mean sort of a sell? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually would sell because I think there'd be very few people that land in that basket, um, yeah. you know, particularly retail investors. I think this is one where you're probably fooling yourself if you think you know this business really well inside out. Indeed, indeed. Uh, busy businesses, never a good look. Claude. Yeah, I, we can definitely save some time. I have nothing further to add on, on what Luke <laughs> said. Uh, I think also just to add in like the long-term history of this stock uh, doesn't create a lot of uh, you know, reason to own it either, even though it will be a totally new story. It's definitely just uh, best to wait and see what happens after FY 2024. Okay. So would you be selling it? Sell. 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 Just, yeah, it's way too, it's like just walking through the dark. You've got no idea what's going on. Also, okay. the chart doesn't look good either. Far, far too opaque, one might say. Let's move on to the eighth stock, uh, picked by Parker. It's a Vita Medical. Is uh, this ticking any more, uh, I suppose, uh, yeah, ticking any more boxes for you, Luke? Because it's quite an interesting space. Very interesting. Yeah, they're in that sort of, um, uh, you know, skin treatment for mm. burns and vitiligo and things like that um, with a with a synthetic offering called uh, Resell, I believe it's called. Um, it, it's not my type of stock, so I always have to sort of view it through that lens. Um, you know, it's a very early stage business. It's growing fast but burning a lot of cash to do it. But I completely understand why this would be the sort of business that certain investors would really be attracted to. Um, the first thing I noticed when I looked at their recent results was, you know, 85% gross margins. 
So straight away, you can just see where if they're able to get traction with this product, um, again, in that lucrative US market in particular, um, this will be a business that generates an extreme amount of profits in the future. Um, Now, of course, getting to that point is very difficult. There's no guarantee they make Mm. it. Um, people who have a better idea than I do on the product and the technology and how it's being penetrated into doctors and surgeons, it's it's so key. I mean, the Mm. company talks about, I think, presenting at 36 conferences or or something like that. There was, you know, 36 surgeons referencing the product. Um, That's the sort of stuff that, you know, is very, very important. As a layman like myself, it's hard to sort of know, you know, how substantial Mm. that is for, for the future of the business. So, Look, I would say a hold just because I, I don't know enough to tell someone to sell it. I understand it's not my style of business. I like to see profits and cash flow before I really get the confidence to step in and own something. But for early stage speculative investors, I think it does have all the characteristics you're looking for. The the quarter on quarter growth is quite strong. I mean, they're sort of predicting if their guidance, if they hit their guidance, 50% sort of quarter on quarter growth, 10 mil per quarter to 15, which is which is quite strong. And those and you combine that with the gross margins, um, I certainly see the appeal, but just not for me. But I'll, I'll say hold. Okay, fair enough. Not always an easy space to invest in, is it? Particularly when you're loss making and you're, you know, Mm. trying to get your product into the market and overseas. Claude, does it tickle your fancy? Look, not at this price. I think that this is a great example of, I guess, a high beta tech stock. Uh, It's medical tech, but it's a tech stock. It has the margins to match, as uh, Luke was saying, at least the gross margins. Uh, look, I think at this point, this has probably had its great run. It got probably oversold on a bit of pessimism as you know, as we have come out of a period where small caps that were losing money have been absolutely smashed. Mm. Uh, the revenue growth uh, is has been perhaps slowing a little in the most recent report, uh, but generally it could speed up again. It's not necessarily going to be smooth. So uh, I think that you know, as long as that revenue growth and the gross margin growth story remains intact, then this is an interesting one for you to just hold on to still because you've, if you're holding, you've been through a tough time and the sentiment is re-rating. I don't think you've got valuation on your side anymore. I think perhaps you did, you know, before it tripled. Uh, but I think it's probably overvalued now, but you've got the momentum and the story on your side right now. So that's why it would land in the hold bucket for me. Uh, this is going to be, it's sociologically, it's a, it's a sentiment re-rate on a highly speculative growth stock. So it will be volatile and you've got to watch for what might change that sentiment. For example, if the revenue comes in weak or weaker than the market's Mm. expecting, you might see a a drop in that share price and that would potentially tell you, look, the sentiment and the story around this might be changing to the negative and you don't have valuation on your side at this price. So that's when I'd be taking a profit. But for now, I think it's a hold. Fair enough. Let's move on to Ostco Healthcare, and it's the ninth stock today, picked by a deeper. And uh, yes, I suspect this is not necessarily, well, it is, it is a smaller market cap stock here, Luke, but uh, is it one that you'd be looking at buying? Yeah, I actually own this one, Danny. Cool. Um, and it's it's uh, interesting to put it next to to uh, Avita because this is the sort of uh, medical company I would own. Uh, much more boring, but but profitable, good cash flows, um, and the potential to have some some nice growth over the next few years. So they do nurse call systems and software, some some clinical workflow software in behind the the hardware they provide. Um, had a, had a good little run over the last year, and, and the reason why is that they've won some some pretty substantial contracts um, over in Canada, actually, um, which uh, one of them in particular was the largest one they've ever won. Um, I look forward to the full year report, which should be out in the next few weeks, um, and, and expect to see they'll have a record backlog of work, which will really underpin that sort of revenue and profit growth over the next few years. Um, but trades on about 16 times earnings, which to me is reasonable. It's not cheap. But like I said, I expect that profit to grow and that multiple to come down over the next year or two. Um, and so when you sort of take that that sort of look ahead view, I think it can look quite quite cheap in the next couple of years. Um, I've held it for a while. I would actually say probably a hold for the program. You know, my entry price is down around that sort of 10, 11 cents. Up here at 17, I, I think it's a hold, and, and that's certainly what I've been doing. Um, but but one to, to keep an eye on, because if the business executes like I expect it to, I think that multiple can come down or, you know, the, the other potential alternative is the confidence over the outlook can improve and it can justify the, the higher multiple that it's currently got. Um the other potential tailwind they could have in the next few years is their biggest Australian competitor was actually Hills Health. Um, they've gone into administration. They used to be listed. 
um, since gone into administration and delisted. Um, and that Aussie market, uh, Hills was quite a big participant, and it may be up for grabs. And I think OSCO, you know, they made a, an acquisition here recently to get some sales and distribution into the Aussie market. And I think they're pretty keen to attack that gap that's been left by Hills, which could be quite lucrative on a, on a medium-term view. I wouldn't expect to see that sort of this year or next year, but maybe over two or three years, I think it's a, a nice little spot for them to be. So I do hold it. Uh, for the program, I'll say I hold it. But one, I think, you know, investors who, who do invest in micro caps or, or be a bit more speculative – put on your watch list. I think it's a really interesting business and, and, and quite well run. And has it got a major shareholder or anything of that nature or it, it, is it, uh, yeah, stable management? Yeah, the, the current the current CEO has been there now for, I think, six years and, and, and actually has uh, sort of taken the company through a bit of a turnaround, to be honest, and, and done a very good job. I, I rate him quite highly. Um, the major shareholders uh, are the old founders and some sort of legacy holders from the from the business. It's been listed for quite a while. It used to be known as Azure Healthcare. Um, Claude Claude knows the history quite well. Um, a little bit checkered, um, but yes, there, there's some legacy holders there. Um, but the current CEO has been there for about six years and, and really steadied the ship, and I think brought the business to a, a pretty good spot where they are today. Fantastic. Well, that was great, Luke. Uh, Claude, you know the history, but do you like the stock at the moment? Yeah, I do quite like it. Uh, I don't hold, but that's actually just due to my own deficiency. I, I was sort of aware of the thesis and the turnaround that was going on. and But what's really put a, you know, a rocket under the share price recently is that Osco was awarded uh, its largest $7.4 million contract. Now, it's not going to be that much of a game changer on its own, but that comes on the back of a pretty decent $3.9 million one uh, contract. And any micro cap uh, investor will tell you, you know, if you've got a positive, if you've got a profitable company, then then starts winning bigger and bigger contracts. Uh, as long as that company's margins are generally okay, which these guys usually do pretty well on the gross margin level, um, then you know that's usually going to lead to higher profit in the near term. So uh, that's really positive. It's not crazily priced at the moment. I guess uh, now that it has come up, I would agree with Luke that it would be a hold. But I, yeah, I think it's definitely one that you could still buy it around that, uh, you know, 14, 15 cents mark. Uh, just keeping in mind, it's an illiquid micro cap. And at the same time, just the other thing is that maybe Luke has a different view of it than I do. But I see this uh, business as probably, uh, you know, having a limited time if I were to buy it in my portfolio, just because uh, it's just, it's not really a recurring revenue yeah. business. And for like 10 years now, they've kind of been, they've got this like maybe 15% of their, 15% uh, of their revenue is recurring. And they're always trying to say, oh, it's going to be more that, but it's been very, very slow towards recurring revenue. So if you ever see the market pricing this, like it fully believes, oh, it's going to be recurring revenue. It's going to be great. <laughs> That to me is when you definitely want to sell. And the other thing to keep in mind is obviously keep an eye on those sales orders, how's it's going, because really they just need to keep on booking new orders. But as Luke, I think mentioned, that's looking all pretty good at the moment. So that's why I have a positive outlook on the stock for the next few years. Okay, cool. And uh, last but not least, the 10th stock is Oswide Bank picked by Susan. Luke, do you like Oswide? Um, I didn't expect to, Danny, um, and it's not for me. I'm not a huge fan of, of banks in general, but when I started to look at, you know, a, a second or, or quite honestly a third tier bank, it's, it's it's a regional bank based up in Queensland, I didn't expect to see much I would like, but I was, I was actually pleasantly surprised. It looks like quite a well-run little bank. Um, trades on about, you know, a little bit under 10 times earnings. They're getting some, some really good growth in their loan book, um, which can be a good or a bad thing, depends on how you achieve that growth and how you price it. But what I did like seeing is they've also seen some very strong deposit growth on the back of that. So, you know, you're supporting the growth of your loan book with low cost deposits. That allows that net interest mm -hmm. margin to stay pretty steady. It's around 2%. Um, the only thing I saw which would sort of hold me back if I was an investor in it today was there was a spike up in their cost to income ratio, um, you know, their operating costs. Uh, there wasn't too much detail I could find about this. There was a throwaway line about some higher technology and people costs, but I couldn't see whether management were sort of guiding for that to normalize back to where it was or, yeah, what, what the sort of outlook was for that. Because if I, if I sort of thought that that could come back to where it had been historically over the last couple of halves, you would probably see that multiple come down even further to maybe seven or eight times earnings. And it would actually be pretty interesting. I, I probably wouldn't buy it. I'm just, like I said, I'm, I'm generally not a fan of, of banks, 
Um, but but for an investor, and particularly a conservative investor, and, and maybe go back to the conversation we had about um, ServCorp, where if you're a dividend investor and yeah. you're willing to take a little bit more risk away from the large caps, yeah. um, you know something like this gives you that. I, th- I think it's a six point five percent yield. I, I right. might double check, but um, I think that's a pretty safe yield. And 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 you know you're getting a, a li- taking that little bit of extra risk to get that little bit of extra yield. But it makes sense for that investor. But that investor is not me. I, I want capital growth. Uh, I want compounding. And yeah. I'm not sure. Oswald Bank will, will really give you much of that. But I'll say a hold. A hold. Fair enough, fair enough. Claude, uh, I suspect you'll probably have a similar analysis, but hey, prove me wrong. <laughs> uh, no, I won't prove you wrong. Look, I'll just say, adding to what Luke said, any microcap, small cap investor is very, very wary of any finance companies, basically, because it can be really difficult to understand. Like sometimes one of the advantages of being a microcap investor is it can be a quite easy, simple to understand business where it's really hard to get a special knowledge of how Oswide Bank is going. And, you know, are you going to fly up to Queensland and talk to who, you know, is using the bank and all that kind of stuff? It's it, it's really, uh, it can be a tough, opaque place to invest. Um, having said that, there is a dividend angle. Actually, uh, Luke, I just checked for you. It's actually, I think, 7.8% on a trailing basis. So, there is definitely a dividend angle, but you just have to treat it as, you know, a bit of a, a firecracker. Like best case scenario, you buy it, you get a big dividend, fully, you know, franked yeah. for many, many years. And that's how you get your money back uh, because <laughs> there's just always some risk that something could go wrong and, and the stock halves or something like yeah. that. So uh, not one for me. I just, no, it's a no for me. Just I don't invest in yeah. any kind of finance uh, companies like that. It's just, it, you know, I can remember when Yellow Brick Road was, you know, cheap at, at double the price. So it's I'd buying these stocks because they're cheap is just definitely not. It's where I have seen too much money go to die. So I'm not going to do it. A sell? A sell for me. I can. I wanted to acknowledge that I'm biased into my strategy, so I acknowledge the dividend angle, yeah. but it's a sell for me. Okay, fair enough. Totally understand where you're coming from. Sometimes value traps, but nevertheless, that's not what our guest said. Let's run through in terms of the next or the top, the last five stocks in terms of the recommendations from the, or I should say, what the, the experts thought. So Domino's Pizza, yeah, looks like a bubble bursting on that one. And we have a sell from both Luke and Claude. And uh, interesting point. In, in this type of environment, they probably should be benefiting, but they are battling rising costs, margins under pressure, problems with franchisees. Main Pharma, um, our sixth, seventh stock, uh, also problems there in terms of it's too opaque for both of our expert guests. Too much going on, too hard to read. So a, a double sell, so a sell from Luke and also a sell from Claude. Avita Medical. So basically high beta stock, med tech stock, early stage. So it has appealing characteristics, but it is loss making. It does need to probably move to a stage where it's generating more sustainable earnings. But we have a hold from both Luke and Claude on that one. And Oscare Health. So this is one uh, that Luke definitely likes. He owns it and uh, he has a hold on that. Just feels that uh, probably it's a little bit expensive at this point in time at 16 times earnings. Claude doesn't hold it, has looked at it in the past, uh, would put it on a watch list and possibly look to buy into it around 14 to 15 cents. So a double hold on that one. And Oswide Bank, well, we're talking a very small regional bank. Yes, the dividend yield is attractive, 7.8% trailing. Yes, they've been picking up um, some deposit growth, but neither of our experts would invest in a small financial regional bank like this. So Claude has a sell and Luke has a hold on that one. So thank you so much to both of our guests today. Thank you, Claude. Thank you, Luke. Great deep dives that you did. And uh, you were right. I was getting a bit anxious about the time, Claude. But hey, 12.59. So all is tickety-boo today on this Friday. Thank you very much for joining the call. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Been, been fun.
Indeed. So any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks or tweet us at osbiz. And uh, yep, well, that is it for the call today. But I hope you all have a great weekend. But don't go away because there's a lot more coming up after the break. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.